Emporium is the number one war podcast to hear real and raw stories told by influential military heroes and witnesses. Today's episode is presented by Jake and David, the co-founders of Warheads NFT, the first project to write history on the blockchain. Join them on Twitter and Instagram in the description below for more sessions like this. Because uh, most of my life is surrounded or just encompassed by the Marine Corps and uh, then my my own entrepreneurship with my wife with the fitness business. But I'm in it a little bit just so that I can understand it. Um, I understand what it is about, uh, you know, the functionality and uh, what the importance of uh, cryptocurrency and NFTs to the future of of this world. So I do understand that. Cool. Yeah, glad you got a chance to to check it out. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I just started recording, as you can see, so so we can kick into it. Um, yeah, so first of all, you're you're half Dominican, half American, right? Correct. Yeah, I was uh, I was born in the United States, but uh, shortly after I was born, um, my family moved back to the Dominican Republic. Uh, I'm the one uh, of three siblings who was born in the United States. I'm the middle child. So I was born in the United States, but then I grew up to the age of nine in Dominican Republic before returning to the United States. Oh, wow. Okay. So you guys went, went back to DR and then came back. Correct. Yeah. I was, I, I, in my opinion, I think I was an anchor baby. If you know what that is, (laughs) it's uh, a baby that's, that's born in the United Uh States to, to gain citizenship for the for uh, of the family and have a the family give the family an easier way to get back and that was a lot more common back in the eighties than it is now but it was a lot more accepted too back in the eighties. That's interesting. And it worked That's just fine. It worked. Yeah, it worked. Uh, I'm, uh, I was born in the U.S. Became a U.S. citizen from birth. Um, I am the first of my family that was uh, a U.S. citizen, natural U.S. citizen. Um, before and then my family yeah. when they came over in 1994 with me um, they uh, all eventually got their citizenship with time nice nice man Perfect, i mean man. i'm i'm in a not similar situation but i'm, I'm half swedish myself and um it's it's the the countries are very different in the way people are um so like for example with me I have, even though I live in, in Scandinavia, I do have the, the Spanish attitude, like the, that, that little bit extra kind of um, know how to, uh, you know, go around and, and know the tricks, the kind of potholes and stuff like that. How, how, how do you yeah. reckon man, the, the, the Dominican Republic has shaped you in terms of, you know, that, that kind of a style compared to the US, for example? It's, uh, it's definitely a eye-opening experience to be to to have experienced both um growing up in dominican republic i grew up around you know as a third world country i wasn't my family's not very well off so i grew up in dominican republic um around chickens around the, the normal population around you know a lot of dirt and um things that in this country would be considered less developed um and that puts a lot of things into perspective uh it really allows me to be able to see from a young age 
uh, how great the people in the United States have it and how, how great the U.S. has it compared to other countries. Um, and allows me to appreciate also a lot of the things that we have in the U.S. that other people in other countries or less developed countries don't have. For sure, mm. for sure, especially the, the sacrifice um, that everybody goes through in those in those places to to even be able to to go through the day, you know, um, exactly. that's, that's interesting for sure, for sure. It also, no. go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, sorry. Sorry. Go, go on, go. Oh, yes. It, it also allows you to appreciate a lot of the things that uh, you normally wouldn't appreciate in the United States, like how to you know get food. A lot of people, when they look at a piece of chicken on their on their plate, uh, don't really realize, you know, what it takes to, you know, to, to get that piece of chicken on, on your plate. Um, you know, I when, when I was young, I got to kill my own chicken and and prepare my own chicken. Uh, and it's even though it's a, you know, it's not a very romantic thing to do, or it's not very uh, pleasant, you want you start to understand that food, you appreciate where the food comes from. Um, and it happens also in the United States, you know, when you, um, there's something that we call the flyover states is uh, anything that's in the middle of the United States. It's kind of where people just fly over middle mm -hmm. America. A lot of people tend not to know too much about mm -hmm. it, but there's a lot of farms, farmers out there, hardworking people that what they do every single day is make sure that our, we can get food on our plate, but they, they do the messy end of the work and they appreciate um, a lot more of that than than most of us do in the United States. That's that's for sure. And even like I'm from Idaho um, and even, you know, there's a lot of farm fields in Idaho and there's a lot going on. They got Snake River Farms, a lot of potatoes coming out of Idaho. Um, and even in those areas, like I grew up around it all the time, but you still like you're kind of blinded to it unless you're in that farming environment, unless you grow up on the farm or your friend has a farm and you're there. Uh, but you can still even be in the area and not even realize the volume of production and, and, you know, the work that these guys are putting in. You just go to the grocery store, you get your chicken breast, and you're good for the week. Um, as Americans, for sure, we, we're a bit um, sheltered to that. I just got back from Greece, and my, my good friend there was having his, his son's one-year birthday party. And for the one-year birthday party, we put a lamb on the roast around the fire and eating meat straight off the lamb. And I tell you, man, I, I was just standing there like eyes open because I'd never seen anything like that. You know, it's so cool for me um, as an American. So, yeah, uh, I, I know that our, our community is really going to be interested in uh, your path through through being a Marine, how you got started, um, you know, a little bit about your wife, too. She's got a big persona there, um, which is super awesome. You guys seem like a dynamic duo. Um, and then kind of your experience after the service. I know you still have, I think you're still uh, have a position within the USMC, correct? Correct. Yeah, I'm still active duty. Okay. And then the, the deployments, um, and we can kind of touch into this, but do you, do you have an idea? Do they tell you, hey, your deployments are over and you're like um, more like a reserve if you ever go back to deployment or, or is it still up in the air or how does that work? So I transitioned. Uh, when I say I'm active duty, it's, it's a it's a little different version of the active of active component. The Marine Corps has something called the active reserve, which uh, I'm the day on stand, so still active duty, um, technically. 
but I support the reservists right now. So I transitioned last year. Um, I'm in my 18th year of the Marine Corps of being active now. So I have two years till I can uh, retire with 20 if I choose to. But in the, in the last, um, last year, I transitioned into the active reserve component, which we support reservists, train them and get them ready for potential deployments, exercises, and make sure that they have the tools and training that they need to be successful if the, uh, the country needs them to, to deploy. And so that's what I'm doing right now. Uh, this position currently is not a deployable position. So I can, I, ch I can choose to uh, do a deployment if something comes up, but my priority right now is to make sure that the reservists are ready uh, to defend this country if they need to. Okay. Okay. And you're the right guy to teach him, man. These guys will check out your profile and see this dude's jacked. I'm trying to get like <laughs> you. So I need to get on that nutrition and, and I know you have the programs for it. And that's something we could talk about later. If, if, uh, you know, somebody in our community needs, um, a checkup from, uh, Joel that, that they can come to you for that. So we can get into that, but yeah. And, and just kind of how, um, you know, we saw that you have a couple businesses going on and, and uh, just coming back from deployment, integrating back into, into life. I know these guys will be interested in that. So let's kind of start off. So yeah. um, from the beginning, like what, what kind of, did you have a, a single factor that made you know, like, hey, I, w I want to be a Marine. Um, I'm going to be a Marine. And, and what fueled that? The one that I remember, I, I, the one thing that I, when I came to the United States and, uh, and I started watching TV, uh, the Marine commercial, they were very good. Those commercials back in, in the 90s were very good. You know, the Marine riding the horse or climbing the mountain and fighting the, the lava monster. And at the end, he's holding that sword, wearing his brush blues. That's what got me. Um, I knew when I was nine years old, I wanted to be a Marine. I don't know how I was going to get there or I wanted to do it in some way. And as I grew up, you know, that still stayed in the back of my mind. And believe it or not, uh, for your listeners here, I joined the Marine Corps or I enlisted in the Marine Corps for the wrong reasons, which was a girl. Um, I followed the girl into, into the Marine Corps. <laughs> I was, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to be a Marine Corps officer eventually, but the, the girl that I was dating at the time when I was in college, in my uh, second year of college, I was going to Champlain College in Vermont and i was doing very well and she was she wanted to do uh rotc or nrotc and be a marine corps officer but she didn't get the scholarship for to be an officer or to go through the nrotc so she decided to enlist she said she wouldn't do it unless i did it with her so that was my uh oh, no. my, <laughs> my my young mind my young immature mind was like you know what that's fine i can get my associate and i'll come and join you and uh and be a marine with you so we went to boot camp together i'm sure she got extra points for bringing me in for for the recruiter and for her own promotion as well for sure. uh and so we graduated boot camp together i still thought it was the the right choice until my first deployment when uh i was in iraq and she essentially uh she broke up with me when i was when i was out there so uh at that point I needed to decide, uh, well, I had to change my mindset. And instead of being upset at the fact that I had joined the Marine Corps for someone who's no longer there with me, 
uh, I had to take ownership in my my choices and my decision and decide. I decided right there and then that I would make what I thought was only going to be two years left in my Marine Corps career the best two years that I could. And by changing that mindset and deciding to take ownership of my decisions, I started to really enjoy it. And eventually, uh, I thrived, and I, and here I am, uh, you know, uh, in my 18th year, and I'm still in. She's not with me. That's not that's not the current person I am with. Uh, she uh, she yeah. went and did her own thing, but uh, I'm still in the Marine Corps, and I love it. That's insane, man. That's cool, that's man. Crazy, so, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was I was gonna ask, have you always been like very fitness oriented, or or did that come with the with the training that came along the the Marine Corps? I love sports. I've always have loved sports. I'm not really good at uh, you know telling you which athletes are great. I just like playing them, and yeah. uh, so I've always been active, uh, especially growing up in the Dominican Republic when. You know, when you're playing outside or just running around to have fun, you know, you're hitting a tire down the road or you're kicking a can and playing hide and go seek, all those things. Yeah. And um, so I've been, always been pretty active. But when it comes to fitness, fitness knowledge and all that, that came afterwards. Um, more towards when I started to, uh, to go from enlisted to officer in the Marine Corps, I started to learn a little more about my body learn how to optimize what I do and how to maximize my performance. And that's when I started to look into, um, into being, into understanding fitness a little more, not just physical fitness, but also mental health and, um, and discipline as well. Yeah. Nice. 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 Mm. And you're into, I saw you're, you're heavy in, uh, you're heavy into the kettlebell workouts, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, Kettlebells mainly because, well, my, my wife, Rebecca, she is a beast when it comes to fitness, but she was kettlebell certified as with strong first is a, it's a uh, kettlebell um, certification process or certification that she got strong first. Um, and she started getting into them. She really liked them and she showed me how to use them. Um, and I started realizing that kettlebells are easy to take on deployment with you because they take up very little space and you can do a lot in a very small uh space and so i took them an appointment with me and um when i did that i really enjoyed them and i've just been doing them ever since and just for reference for these guys your wife was an olympic weightlifter no or still is still is yeah she uh she recently got into olympic weightlifting actually it was like 2018 when she got into it um so she was originally a gymnast she wanted to be a Marine, but wasn't able to because she has a disqualifying medical condition that doesn't allow her to to be in the military at all. But she serves and and you convinced her to come over from the the Air Force to the Naval Academy, right? <laughs> so she was yeah, she was gonna, she was going to do Air Force. She was going to be <laughs> uh, an Air Force uh, officer. And uh, I was like, why are you gonna be, why you wanna do Air Force? You know, why, why not, if you're gonna do military, you gotta do the, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do it the right way. You gotta be a Marine. <laughs> so I, I convinced her, I was very, I was, I was very good at convincing people about being Marines. Uh, so she decided that she wanted to be a Marine. During that process, you gotta go through the medical clearance process of um, making sure that you have, you know, you're, you are able to physically get through the training 
And through that process of the medical screening, they figured out that she has a medical condition that she couldn't do any of the services. Very upsetting time, but she took that as a challenge to herself to be able to do other things. But to answer your original, uh, your original question, yes, she does now uh, Olympic weightlifting, uh, which is the clean and jerk and the snatch, and she does it competitively. Uh, she went to nationals last month, and uh, she's training now to see how far she can get in, into that career. So impressive, man. She's also built like a beast. You guys are you guys are seriously cool to watch. Pound for pound, she's stronger than I am. So I got you know I can't slack off. So now I'm doing fitness just to keep up with her. So. <laughs> can't slack off. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, uh, so before before we kind of hop into the deployment, uh, David, go ahead. No, I, I was just wondering that you, you mentioned before that you you took the the kettlebells with you to um, to deployments and stuff, and that you can't bring too many things. Um, I haven't been in the military, for example, and I know that a lot of our community hasn't gone to the military. Just out of curiosity, what things do you guys usually bring there? Like, you know just personal mm. items or can you bring just more stuff, for example? It would depend on the deployment. Um, the Marine Corps does two main types of deployment. One is, in, is a Marine expeditionary unit, which is the Marines go on a ship with the Navy and they roam around the Pacific or the Atlantic or anywhere in the, in the world. Uh, and we are ready for anything that may happen in the world so that we can get there very quickly. So we have Marines and ships across the, the world. Uh, that's one type of deployment. That's the more, uh, that's the most common type of deployment. And then we have other deployments that we do when we fly over to actual combat zones uh, to, you know, during when we had Operation Iraqi Freedom or Enduring Freedom, when we had either to go to Iraq or Afghanistan, you also have those kinds of deployments. And those deployments are two very different types. Uh, when you're on a ship, you are a lot more um, condensed in the, in, the, in the space that you have because you got to fit a lot of people into a, a relatively small space and still be able to fit all the equipment, all the weapons and all that stuff on that ship. So uh, you are allowed to take a, uh, you know, your essential items, uniform items, and then weapons and things that you need on that point. When it comes to workout equipment, ships do have small gyms, but they're not very developed gyms where you can do anything you want. So Marines tend to bring, mm. you know, pull-up bars or kettlebells, yeah. sandbags, TRXs, things like that. If you go to Iraq or Afghanistan, where you're going to spend a lot of time in, um, in ground or on the ground, um, and it's going to be a long period of time, several months, um, then Marines tend to build a tent where they have um, weights and things like that. Still not very developed or not very, um, you know, you don't have machines or no, mainly free weights, but enough to get them to, to, to keep up with your fitness. And Marines are getting very creative. You have your body weight too. So we do a lot of that yeah. body weight exercise. Nice. nice, nice. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. <clears throat> so, and then, so let's go back to when you went to the, when you first enlisted. Um, how long did it take? Uh, for you to go off on your first deployment and, and kind of walk us through what that was like being deployed for the first time. Was it like your expectations? Um, and, and how did that go? That's a good question. I, I enlisted in the Marine Corps in 2005. 
and then I deployed in 2007. So roughly two years, and that included all the training that you do boot camp, uh, MOS or job training, and some extra training in between. Uh, and then the, tra the training that it takes prior to deployment and then deployment. So I was essentially from the time I enlisted, I was I took a pretty direct route to deployment. Uh, and uh, mm. deployed in 2007, and I went on the Mew, which is a ship that I told you about that we were on. Um, and I, that's my first deployment. That ship deployment went straight to Iraq. So I got to experience both the ship deployment and the ground deployment uh, in, in one, which was great. Marines enlist in the Marine Corps or they commission in the Marine Corps because they want to deploy. For the most part, that's what they want to do. Otherwise, they would just, if they wanted just money or anything else, they would do something else that's a little easier, like, I don't know, Air Force if they can, um, the Navy or some other things like, oh, the Army. But the Marine Corps, the uh, boot camp and OCS and TBS, all those things are a lot more difficult to pass. So if you're going to be a Marine, you're doing it because, for the most part, because you want to deploy. So I was very excited to deploy, very excited to to be to do what I was what I was meant to do, which what I was trained to do, which was deploy and and win wars. So getting the opportunity, what I was very excited when I first got there. Um, honestly, it was very hot. Um, I was the excitement. I, I think you know overshadowed any any of the negative experiences that I had because I knew I was getting the opportunity to do something I really wanted to do. And then we got into our first firefight and first. Um, explosions with IEDs, improvised explosive devices. And then things started getting real because you read about it, you hear about it in the news and it's very far from home. So you think it just happens to other people. When we, right, when we got right. there and it happened to me, I was, I was, you know, you start to question your decision but at the same time, all the training that you do uh, takes, you know, it, it overcomes you and you start to just take action. You start realizing, wow, all this training really, really does help. It really does provide me the tools that I need to be able to make it back home alive. So you start doing things automatically. Um, on that first deployment on July 2007 is when I got hit by an IED. By hit by an IED, I mean that I was on a truck and the truck got hit by an IED and I got shrapnel in my hands, um, some damage to my ears, uh, and a pretty heavy concussion, uh, and but I was still able wow. to. Okay, so just for a second, yeah, this is yeah. this is where you earned your Purple Heart, or this is a separate Correct. occasion. That is where I earned my Purple. Oh heart. wow! So it was it was straight off the straight out the gate. Straight out the gate. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Damn. Yeah, it was, okay. Uh, sorry. Now I'll let you get back into it. Yeah. Uh, all good. If if any of your listeners or anybody who hasn't been around a deployment or hasn't been around and kind of had the explosions. What you see is like, if, but if they have played video games before, if you play Call of Duty or any of those video games where like, where you hear a bang or you get hit with something like an explosion and everything kind of, or you watch a movie where everything goes like slow motion, the colors are kind of gone and everything's fuzzy. That's exactly what it feels like. But huh. you're walking wow. around kind of dazed wow. and everything seems like it's slow motion because your mind is trying to process everything so quickly that it slows everything down for you. So that happened wow. and then we were ambushed at the same time so we had to take action now 
one thing that I, um, that I don't tell many people, but uh, I'm gonna tell you is that I don't remember Did we lose it? Yeah, I think so. Joel, I think we lost you. Uh, we I can see you it. now, but I can't hear you. Nope. Can't hear you. Maybe the headphones died. Oh, now nope. muted. Now unmuted, but still can't hear you, huh? No. <laughs> Yeah, no worries, no worries. Right, yeah, hey, Joel's professional at cliffhangers. He's like, I'm going to tell you something. And then it cuts up. Let's see. So crazy, man. Right off the gate, uh, getting ambushed like that. That's insane. Imagine. I can't. That's the thing. <laughs> it's so like difficult. No, to, yeah. To think like, how would someone react in certain situations? You know. Yeah. Pretty crazy. And after, I mean, from what we know, which is not much, you the the Marines training is like badass, top notch. Other than maybe SEALs, you know, maybe they're equal, probably. Joel will tell us that Marines is more badass. Maybe Goggins will tell us that SEALs are more badass. But uh, the thing is that super, super badass training. And then when you actually get into the heat of the moment, you realize, like he said, everything's just kicking in. That's probably a pretty crazy feeling. For sure. For sure, man. I think he's trying to hop in and out. Yeah. All right. Can you, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Now we can hear can you. Can you see me? Perfect. Yeah, perfect. All now right. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. I got no, a call no in between there, and then uh, you can probably cut that out there for your, for your okay. listeners. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no sweat. So what, no sweat. Was, what was that? Let's see. You said that I you're about to tell us something story. that you didn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cliffhanger. So <laughs> um, when I first got hit, when I got hit by the IED, I don't remember all of the actions that I took immediately after. I don't remember getting out of the vehicle. I don't remember, you know, firing back at our enemies. I don't remember any of it until I got back to be to the, the medical area where they had to check me out. Now, everybody was telling me uh, during that time, everybody told me that I was doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing. So you get out of the vehicle and you do your perimeter checks and then you aim down and people call, you know, call commands and you do what you gotta do. Um, I don't remember any of that, but I was doing that. Um, and that's a testament to the training that you get in the Marine Corps, how you, you know, paying attention and being able to, re, uh, to do those things, even when you're essentially not conscious of, what you're, conscious of what you're doing, but you're still doing the right things. And you hear those stories uh, with law enforcement too, where sometimes they're in the fight or they get, you know, they, something happens where they lose consciousness, but they're still performing their duties as law enforcement or as military members. And it happens, it happens more often than people think. So 
testament to the training that we get. Wow. Um, I still was able to, to do what I was supposed to and make it back home alive. Wow. And how much time do you think uh, surpassed from that when you when you got struck and you lost that memory to when you got back to the medical area? It was uh, at least a couple of hours, at least a couple of hours. So um, hours, no shit. Yeah, I am now actually going to going through TBIs, uh, which is traumatic brain injury uh, screenings, just to make sure that everything's good in my brain. There's a lot, a lot of my life that I can't remember that's very fuzzy prior to the explosion. So there's a lot of stuff like when I went to middle school, high school, that I just can't remember. And when I would go back home, um, I somebody would come up to me and say, like, "Hey, long time no see." And I could not place that person oh, no. anywhere in my life, but I got really good at using context clues to figure out who the person was. You know, I just pretend like you know who they are, and yeah. eventually figure it out. And wow. uh, with with social media, Facebook really does help kind of put pieces together because there you start to see who knows who. Like, hmm. uh, if you know this person, you're like, oh, this person, and you're friends with you know, 50 other people, then you start figuring out, oh, okay, those 50 people are from high school, so this person must be a high school friend. So it helps. Wow. Uh, and just a quick just a quick note, because I know me and David are fans of uh, Dr. Daniel Ammon. Uh, ha- have you uh, heard of Ammon Clinics at all, or where are you getting these TBI scans done, and, and how is that process going? I have, um, but I have not gone into uh, or done anything to that capacity yet. Um, I'm in the initial stages of getting that done, of getting my TBI. So by initial stages, I mean, I'm getting screened first by um, my local medical centers and they're taking notes and putting everything on my medical record to eventually and hopefully be able to go to a more complex screening that they have in Camp Lejeune or uh, Camp Pendleton, California, uh, Camp Lejeune is in North Carolina, Camp Pendleton, California, to be able to have a, a more uh, proper screening. Uh, and thanks to technology and also, believe it or not, the NFL and football, because they are very conscious about uh, TBIs, traumatic brain injuries, and there. So technology has been, it's a lot better now than it was when I first got hit by the IED. So using that current technology, mm-hmm. hopefully in the near future to figure out uh, the extent of the damage, if any, that's up there. Mm. That's interesting. Okay. Um, also, you know, after all this happened, you know, we can have this, uh, all, all, sort of, all, all sorts of people, you know, there's people that something happens and they decide to, to move on and try something else or, or that they decide to go back and, and try even harder, you know, how, how did this experience like make you feel after um, when you got back into into ground and, and did, did it take time for you to kind of get back into it or were you immediately able to, to kind of perform and, and all that stuff? Uh, the Marine Corps kind of just monitored me for 48 hours and they're making sure that I wasn't uh, with a concussion and after the explosion that I, I was still able to perform. And I, I showed signs that I was I was pretty good. Um, I knew that there was some gaps in my memory at the time, but I thought they would come back with, with time. And I just wanted to stay there. No Marine ever wants to go home and get fly, flown home and leave their buddies behind. It's not what we do. So we want to go mm-hmm. and finish the deployments. And that's what we wanted. I asked to stay. And so they let me stay. Um, I think that 
um, having that experience uh, with the deployment. And I remember at that time, I, uh, my girlfriend at the time, she broke up with me during that, well, not broke up, but she like, cheated on me during that time. And so um, all happened, you know, it's all, all overlapping. It happened during around the same time. And I decided at the time, it's like, I wanna, I wanna stay in the Marine Corps, I wanna make the best of it, uh, at least for the next couple of years. And so being uh, on that deployment and sharing my experiences with other Marines back home and uh, earning the Purple Heart, I think that allowed me a mental shift. It gave me a mental shift to be able to say, this, maybe this is what I want to do. I want to be able to continue to help other Marines, inspire Marines, lead Marines, do this, because I, was, I realized I was, I was very good at it. Um, another thing that I did not let myself do is be seen as a, or be um, be labeled as someone who had an injury or someone who um, was maybe that needed some more assistance. I worked very hard to not let others label me as someone who had a TBI yeah. Yeah. because I didn't want that label. And I think, and even then I, I realized that if I had that label, I would, and I, and I use that label, I would essentially rely or make that label be, define me. And I didn't want people to define me with that. I want people to define me for my actions and things that I want, that I had done and my performance. And so having that mindset of saying, I don't want to be a victim, having the non-victim mentality, I don't want to be a victim, that kind of helped me get past the fact that I had gone through this experience and didn't let others treat me any differently, which then eventually worked out for the best. Yeah. You know, right. in your training. And there's that in, aspect in, of it. Yeah, sir. Go, go ahead. No, I was going to say, in, in, in your training, when, when you were in, in the States, did you have that, that person that would come up to you and, and explain what you have been doing after the, the deployment and all that stuff? Or, or were you, you know, kind of a bit naive of... of, of that kind of the, the, the victim situation, if, if you know what I mean? Um, I don't think anybody explained it to me. I just saw it in, in others, right? In, in other things, in other people. I saw other people gone, had, had gone through similar, similar situations and they, they let that define them. That was their story and that was the only story they told. I didn't want to have to be the only story that I was, the only story that, that I told. Now, um, there are many other, um, uh, Purple Heart recipients and people who have gone through a lot more, who've gotten more severe injuries than than what I got, and those people uh, who have who are now um, public speakers or motivational speakers or help others, they will tell you they have a similar mindset of, you know, I don't want to be a victim. I want to show others how to how to overcome. Um, okay. Again, their injuries are a lot more severe than I than mine, so I looked at them as inspiration and said. I can do, uh, you know, I can, I can change my mindset and, and be a person that, that inspires others versus a person that is looking for something to be given to me. For sure. For sure. I mean, right. we, we, we've been in contact with the, do you with think there's the, two sides to the, okay, I think the, the converse, the, the camera is like a bit backwards, like the, the, the noise, but I was just going to say that we've been chatting with, with Jason Redman. And he has a, a very interesting kind of similar attitude that that you have as well. With the, uh, I'm not sure if, if you're aware who who Jason Redman is, but I am. He, he yeah yeah well that's 
that he's also pretty inspiring in terms of the the kind of victim feeling and and not feeling pity for oneself and, and stuff like that so that's that's really interesting yeah for sure you had a question jake yeah joel uh about just coming back to the tbis like um do you think that in that certain time period and maybe maybe you still feel the same but in that certain time period that that like um edge towards not being a victim that that's super beneficial to get you through you know those specific hard times but then the other side of it that um you know tbis are a lot more common than we think uh, or that we used to think i guess i think now and especially where you're going through the pre-screening processes and and you know do you think that it's also something um that we recognize that hey you know tbis are more common and and can happen actually from brain injuries from childhood if you hit your head too hard off the bike or if you've been in a car accident or something like that and that it's it's not something to necessarily label yourself in any bad way at all and actually um, just kind of squash that under the table and, and just move on. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, TBIs are like, the, they're like a, they could be a ticking time bomb, right? It could be something that you, that happens, you know, and like I said before, the NFL has, has done a phenomenal job of, of being able to, to make it a more, uh, to, to help people understand what happens with, with, with TBIs, concussions, and all those other things. You know, we play sports from a young age and you could, you know, get head, you know, head, head collide your head with something and you may have a, exactly. a you know, a traumatic brain injury at that point. And some people do experience a shift in, in the mood and other uh, just a mindset when, after a, a traumatic brain injury. And a lot of people, uh, you know, before the, the, the research in TBI would just, you know, say, like, get, get over it, it's just a concussion, just this, just that. But uh, now we have a lot more technology, a lot more research, a lot more understanding. Uh, we have some, some tools that can help people. And it's something that um, allows people to be able to, uh, this technology is something that allows people to be able to then continue living their life normally while still be able to kind of understand like this happened to me and I need to take care of myself. The brain is a very complex thing and it, it, it regulates everything in your body. So if, there's a, if there is a, a uh, dramatic change in your mood after something like a, like a potential concussion or, or any other symptoms of TBI and you, anybody can look them up, all those symptoms, uh, start realizing there's something's off. Uh, don't be afraid to go look because the injuries don't have to be visible. They, they can still be there and you not know it's happening. Mm. And there are ways to, to mitigate and even fix those issues. It's just gotta take the first step and be humble, humble yourself and put your pride aside and say, maybe I do need some help. For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, we're, we got, I know you gotta be somewhere in like 20 minutes. Um, and, and this is going good. I got a lot more to, to ask you about, but let's, let's kind of trim the fat on some of these. Um, so kind of just bounce around, but here, here's one that I, I really wanted to ask, uh, because from, from my perspective, I can't think of any answers to this question, but I'm sure that you probably have some, um, when it comes to being in the USMC, a United States Marine, that's a big title. Um, and, and what are some of the misconceptions that come along with that? I, I know that there's the, um, you know, to me, 
Marines are, are like as badass along with the SEALs as badass gets, you know. Um, and so we, we have this big idolization as it should be, you know, a lot of respect. Uh, but what are some of the misconceptions that come along? Some of the misconceptions are that Marines are not only Marines are not very intelligent right? because we're like barbaric um, because we like we like firefighters okay. we like to go in there and get after Marines join the Marine Corps, like I said before, and listen to the Marine Corps or permission to the Marine Corps because they want to go and deploy. They want to go and kill the enemy. They want to go to war. Um, but as a misconception is that, like I said before, the Marines are barbaric or they're they're dumb. Um, that's not the case at all. Some of the smartest people that I've that I've met in my life, uh, and I've met a lot of civilians and 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 military members, are Marines. So Marines are very intelligent. They are. Um, I think the, the 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 word that people would I think I would change the word and say the Marines are very aggressive. They're aggressive because they want to get to, they want to accomplish it. Whatever it is, Marines go after it for the most part. Marines don't need a 100% pollution. We need 70%. 70% is good enough and we'll execute. Give us 70% of the answer or 70% of what we need to know and we'll go get after it. Um, Marines are at, to take action. Um, but Marines also don't get along as well with normal civilians as other services do because marines have that mentality of you know there's the brotherhood sisterhood we are marines like you go ask a soldier what they do they say i i do you know i'm a pilot for the army or i am logistics i do logistics for the army you ask a sailor what they do is like oh i you know i am a surface warfare officer for the navy I do this for the Navy. The same thing with the Air Force. I do IT for the Air Force. So this time you ask a Marine what they do, doesn't matter what their MOS, what their job is, they're gonna tell you, I'm a Marine. And they'll stop there. You know, we all have our separate jobs. Like I do communications or IT for the Marine Corps right now. But I'm not gonna tell you uh, I Yeah, and, and mention what your what your initial title was there. My initial one, like before I, I went into an officer? Yeah, yeah. So before I, was, before I was an officer, when I was enlisted, I was a uh, chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear defense specialist for, uh, for the Marine Corps. But I wouldn't tell you that. I would say, I'm a Marine. And then you'd be like, oh, okay, what, what do you do for the Marine Corps? That's a like, mouthful, oh, man. Yeah. So every That's Marine would tell you, I'm a Marine. Uh, so Marines, uh, the misconception is the Marines are dumb. Not true. Uh, Marines are definitely aggressive. For sure. And that can get them in trouble sometimes because when marines deal with people a lot more passive it tends to be tends to scare them but um marines believe it or not uh if you look out there for marines who are now entrepreneurs there are quite a bit of them out there there are a lot of marines that started their own businesses because they have that mindset of i just want to get after it same thing with navy seals mm. david do you want to lead into into that part of it kind of yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I'm I'm curious here. How how did your transition like? How did it go for you, for to go from service to to entrepreneurship to to doing what you're doing? That's a really good question, and I kind of had to think about that. And for me, it was more of a mindset shift, right? So, 
I started thinking after 15 years or so uh, in the Marine Corps, what I'm going to do after the Marine Corps, because as much as we would love to think that we're going to be Marines for life, the Marine Corps has to end at some point. You're either going to re retire, you're going to get medically discharged, so the Marine Corps is going to say, hey, you've been in for 30 years, it's time for you to go do something else. So what comes next? Um, mm. And I started having that mindset. Once you have that, that thought once, you start to think it comes back more often and more often and you think, what can I do? What, 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 what am I good at doing? And Marines are good at doing a lot of things, but Marines are really good at leading. And so I figured, you know, I've been taking orders for a long time. I give orders too, but I take orders for a long time. Uh, after 20 years of taking orders, do I really want to work for somebody else or do I want to work for myself? Hmm. Um, and my wife, Rebecca, she has a very, a very similar mindset of getting after it. So we sat down one time, uh, this was during COVID, and we decided um, she was working for a gym called Equinox at the time. And Equinox had, you know, mm -hmm. they, were, they were virtual because of all the COVID stuff and slowly uh, getting rid of some of the trainers and managers and all that. And she decided instead of waiting, we're going to take action. And we decided to... Um, to go and start our company, Stem for Stronger, uh, which is an online fitness business, which during the time of COVID, it was very, very useful. We were able to, to help a lot of people during that time. And now we're growing and uh, looking forward to the time that I can retire from the Marine Corps and then focus a lot more of my energy into yeah. Stem for Stronger and grow it even more. Yeah. How's it been going with that, with uh, Stem for Stronger? It's been going uh, really well. Um, there, you know, with, like, just like with any other business that, uh, anybody may start, you have your growing pains. Um, there's a lot of work. Uh, it's not like I, I work more now than I did w before. And she works more now than she did for Equinox, but the work that she does now is a lot more, um, a lot more rewarding and she's able to help, uh, you know, she, she makes her rules, she makes her time. She decides what's important for her business. We decide together and she decides, you know, how she's going to do the things that she wants to do to make sure the business grows. And she takes, doesn't really take orders from anyone. If anything, I'll take orders from her, right? Um, <laughs> and so she, um, yeah, it's a very rewarding uh, move that we made and I have something set up. So when I retire from the Marine Corps, I can then go uh, full force with Temper Stronger. We help a lot of military members, a lot of first responders, free of charge for them, which is something that we love to do. That's awesome. Uh, kind of twisting off of that, just real quick and stepping back a little bit, um, because I was listening to Rebecca on the podcast with the Potty Mouth guys, uh, which they're super funny, by the way. And yeah. she mentioned that you guys had met at uh, Maryland University. Uh, but you mentioned that you were also in the other relationship in that first deployment. So I take it that you guys weren't kind of, uh, involved yet, but nonetheless, when you're deployed and you're away from home and you have a relationship, what, how do you find that balance? What is that like? Is it, is it, you know, it's not all rainbows and unicorns and butterflies. So what is that process like? Did it make you guys stronger when, when you got back, you were no longer deployed and, um, does some of that kind of energy translate now into how you guys operate? Great question. And I gave you what the first relationship, my first relationship was like, and it was a failed one, which was my 
my yeah. girlfriend at the time in 2007 cheating on me and eventually that didn't work out obviously we're still friends um we were young and stupid then um but fast forward uh we had a deployment in 2017 to 18 and i was with rebecca at the time we were married we we're still are married um and during that time that was our first deployment together our first deployment that we had experience as a as a married couple and this is going to sound cliche but it's absolutely communication like the good the bad and the ugly you say it all if you're hiding something if there's an elephant in the room that no one wants to address it's going to come out eventually it's not going to come out very nicely so you just address it when you can mm. and then you realize that each other are human and you you address it you fix whatever the issue is and you move on um right and then you this is and this is the big one don't bring it back up again you know you unless it is a common occurrence and someone's doing the same thing over and over again then you can bring it up but if you if you were to say it's okay all right now we can move on move on and change your mindset change your mm. you know you could be you can be angry and you can like have a conversation don't yell have the conversation be very stern be very serious with each other and then when when you decide and we do this believe it or not when we say we're going to move on we shake hands my wife and i shake hands and moving on moving on and then we shift mindset immediately and then we move on from there and we put that in the past that is something that's very hard to do for a lot of people because you're you know you want to get that emotional investment in the other person why uh you want to make that you want to make that person feel what you're feeling and that is that's projecting your your emotions on somebody else you don't want you don't that just uh builds hostility so on doing a deployment when you have very little communication the very little communication you do have you want to communicate as much as possible and be mm. prior to deployment be completely open about everything anything and everything that may happen may have happened in the past talk it out resolve it and then and then communicate throughout the deployment as much as possible letters emails if you can all that and just communicate and when you talk talk problems good things bad things doesn't matter all those things communicate and then both the spouse has to understand that the person that the military member is going through a, some tough times being away from everything that he or she knows and understanding that being patient for the person to come back to be able to have you know to continue having those conversations and continue to uh to then build that relationship and then the military member has to be patient because they can't go anywhere they have to stay on the deployment um and understand that <clears throat> trust the other person for for when they get back together to be able to or they come back physically together to be able to address and any issues that may come up and anything that any any things that that still need to be addressed but communication cliche as it sounds that is the number one thing good bad ugly everything is on the table or we're all human if i if you know if my wife were to ask me um if i were to look at another girl and say it's like oh that girl is very attractive my wife will look at that girl and be like yeah she is very pretty and that's that like i don't <laughs> there's mm. no there's yeah. no like oh you think she's prettier than me like all this other stuff there's no that's like we can acknowledge even if we're married that other people are attracted that we can acknowledge even if we're married that I'm angry at you right now. I love you, but I'm angry at you. And this is why we can, we can have those conversations. And then when it's all done, here's why, here's what we can do to fix this. Please don't do that again. Good, good. Shake hands, move on.
Bam. Man, I love that. I love that. I love that. I'm taking notes the whole time. I'm passing this stuff on. And <laughs> utilize it, man, because for real, you're, you're dropping bombs on us. Um, I want to let you go five minutes early. Nobody likes to, to be in a rush. Um, David, let's shoot one more each. Mine's going to be of the USO. Um, so, so go ahead and shoot. I think just a side comment and, and see what you say. I think from everything I've heard, um, from your training to even even what you learn from being away from your wife, that uh, being in the military is not just doesn't just train you to be in the military, but it actually gives you, you know, uh, traits in your character that then that you can use later on in life, and that's something that everybody else should learn as well. You know that you can train a lot and you can become better and you can use it for for different things so it's uh thanks for for everything that that you've said man it's super interesting thank you for that and you're absolutely right the military is not just about killing people it's about learning how to lead learning about patience learning how to serve learning about serving something that's bigger than yourself and being part of a team those things if it if people could experience that in some capacity if everybody could experience some kind of being part of a higher perp a higher reason or a higher mission, um, you know, whether it's religious, whether it's with a team, whether it's with your own company, whatever it is, people can experience that. I think that's a, that'll be a, a, a game changer for that individual and eventually for, for, for the sure. population in general. For sure. I mean, like Jake and I, we are dealing with quite a few different pieces with the, with this project, you know, and, and what you said about communication, I think it's so important when you're on, you know, a big operation or like a medium sized operation or even a small operation that communication is so important, you know, in mm. any aspect of, of what you do. So that's that's really interesting what you said. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you want to I know my you? relationship with with my partner? Uh, sometimes feels like a big operation, a medium operation, and a small operation. <laughs> and I can use some of this stuff for, for all of that. So um, that's facts, man. And, and, you know, working together with the team is, is super important. I know playing team sports when I was younger has shaped a large part of me. David here, uh, I don't know if you're, uh, well, we call soccer in America, but they call it football over here in Europe, Joel. Uh, but David played for quite a prestigious program in uh, the United Kingdom called Crystal Palace, um, and he has extensive experience playing on a team. And I know that that helped us uh, shape to who we are to be tenacious and to not step away from something that's hard to to accomplish. And in fact, those are the things that actually um, speed up your progress. And so, you know, personally, I love that kind of stuff, and I can see that in you. Um, and that message comes across from you, and, and I really, really um, admire that about you as well. My last question is um, what are your experiences with the USO? Have you been on a on a deployment when they've come around on one of the tours? Um, and, and how deep does that relationship go when you are uh, an active duty member? Yeah, uh, the USO has been extremely helpful for me, not just on deployments. I saw them, the first, my first experience with the USO was not a great one, right? It was me going to boot camp and then spending some time with it. As I was going to boot camp, I was waiting at the USO to get picked up. And I was nervous. And I was thinking to myself, like, what am I doing here? That's why it was a negative experience. Because I was just, I didn't know where I was. I didn't know what a USO was. I just knew that I was had to go there to get picked up by the drill instructors. That was a very um, culture shock type of experience. 
later after uh, when I first got to my deployment in Iraq in 2007, I learned about what the USO is all about. You get briefed on it, and then you get to experience it, and then they actually come, they actually came in, in a small capacity and visited in care packages and told us and uh, you know what uh, took care of us out there. And the men and women who have, who take time to work for the USO or volunteer the USO or do something with the USO for military members, I hope they realize that they're changing lives because now it doesn't matter if I go to the airport and I'm waiting for my flight and I go to the USO or if we're coming back from a deployment or doing a deployment or even the emails that we get from the USO, that what they offer is gold. The people that are in the USO and greet you it's just a heartwarming experience. They're like family. They treat you like family. And um, they've honestly changed my perspective and helped me get through deployments because they were there, because they were able to provide us with not just information, but care and love. Uh, and I, I couldn't, you know, I, I, I don't think the military would be the same without the USO. Damn. That's that's powerful, man. Um, that's super cool. I mean, we're we're happy to be partnered with them. Uh, they've been, you know, nothing short of of really great to work with. Uh, our contacts there uh, have been really supportive of our project. Um, spoken really highly of us, and and um, pretty much every person that we spoke to has been involved with USO in some way or another, and has nothing but the highest regards for them. So um, that's really good to hear from you. Um, Man, I, I really appreciate your time. I wish we had, you know, days on days for this. Um, but, yeah, it's been amazing, uh, and I'm, I'm going to let you get to your thing now. Uh, thanks for joining us with Warheads, um, and, and I'll be in touch, you know, about Semper Stronger and stuff like that. So, Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all for what you do, and um, I appreciate what you guys are doing for not just the military community, and the first responder community, but for everybody else to put some awareness out there and allow us all to be, uh, to continue doing great things. So thank you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right, Joe. Take care now. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Take care, Bye. man.